Okay. You find it? I give you five more seconds. Yeah, and then we gotta go. Okay. Question two.
test. Okay, is this better? This one, no? I think that's the last question, right? So let's finish it and see who is uh, on the podium. Who is K? Okay, how many of you are in SEC 4, 5, junior college and university? How many? Not so many of you, okay? That's quite impressive for some of you um, making some of these answers um, pretty good, yeah? So we're gonna play this game again towards the end of this talk because then I think will be a better gauge on what you learn uh, in this particular talk, okay? So, right. Now this, this is the evolutionary, evolutionary biology view. There was only one dinosaur age and it is called the Mesozoic era, consists of three periods, the Triassic, the Jurassic and also the Cretaceous. And the dinosaur period, usually the ballpark figure is about 250 to about 65 million years ago. Now today we are going to examine this particular claim, which is called science. And we're gonna put it to the test if this is correct or not. So secular science of this theory about dinosaurs, they evolved and lived in that particular era, the 250 to 65 million years ago. And then one fine day, a huge meteorite fell from the sky. And the impact was so great, creating a lot of dust in the explosion. The dust was brought up in the air, which covered the entire earth and created what they call a nuclear winter. And for that reason, the dinosaurs went extinct. The meteorite impact theory is just one of the over 100 theories that have been proposed for the dinosaur extinction. And if you have over 100 theories, that means they do not know, okay? So the meteorite theory is just being a popular one but it doesn't explain a lot of things because the more sensitive species like crocodile and frogs, they didn't go extinct. They're still with us today. So the meteorite theory is not the correct theory, nor any of those 100 theories. But we, did have, we do have an explanation for that and we can cover that a little bit later. So after the dinosaur extinction, we fast forward to about 15 million years ago. The great apes evolved, and then the ape men, or what we call the hominin apes, about five million years ago. And finally, men came into being from the ape men about 300,000 years ago. 
So the conclusion is this, that dinosaurs and men never live in the same era or same age period. So this is the story that's been told to you in Sec 4, 5, universities, junior college, and even when you come out and work, and this is the predominant view of the world today. And we call it the status quo, okay? Now, this theory is not verifiable by experiment. You cannot do an experiment to test whether dinosaur has evolved 250 million years ago and that they went extinct 65 million years ago because this is the past. The past is not observable. I'll talk a little about that later on. So this is not science. I have a question to me already when I did the introduction just now after the worship. How do you reconcile science with faith? Okay. Now this is just a story. And we're going to examine the story a little bit more later on. My apology, the thing didn't move. Okay. Now, this story challenged the faith of a lot of youth, and I should say adults too, around the world. And so because of this, CMI went to university campuses and did a video survey, which is now actually available in a DVD, and I'm not sure whether we have it on the book tables today. So I want to read out to you some quotes from this Fallout article. Over the last year, which was 2016, we embarked on a project to video survey college students on campuses in the U.S. and we targeted those raised in the church. We asked whether they believe in creation or evolution. Had they ever been exposed to any creation teaching during their church upbringing? Second question. And then third question, and whether they still attended, attended church or not. And the result shows an obvious and direct correlation between those who had not been exposed to biblical creation and those who had. In some cases, just one creation presentation was enough to make the difference. So the question is, why? because it provided a heads-up about what they will be taught in higher education and that there is a place to go where they can find answers. In short, letting them know that the Bible could always be trusted despite the barrage of objections they will face, especially when uh, they are um, starting to, to work uh, in, the, in the workplace. Now, I'm not aware of such direct survey of use in Singapore, but we did run three education forums in three churches, and we asked the participants a series of questions, seven basic questions, and our analysis shows that the beliefs in evolution is still very much embedded in the thinking of uh, our church folks in Singapore. So, 
My attempt here today is to help you to disengage yourself from some of this thinking that you might have already uh, inside you and encourage you to really stand firm on the Word of God. Now, this just came uh, in the National Post in Canada and um, is done by Pew Research Forum in uh, Canada and the U.S. So, we have a lot of statistics about youth leaving the church in the first decade of their life uh, after graduation. <clears throat> the youth, like millennials, they not only leave the church, some of them, they join other religions because this religion seems to be more attainable to their thinking in relation how to live with the world that they are in. So here's the story of Kara's joy, and I'm going to read to you just the part which is in the blue frame. Joy still remembers how her questions about dinosaurs and evolution were dismissed and rejected by Bible scholars at summer camp. This caused Joy to embrace agnosticism and rejected the faith of her parents in the name of science. Now, some of the words there, I am not sure if it is exaggerated because this is written by the National Post Bible scholars. Yeah. I don't think there are too many Bible scholars would uh, reject uh, questions raised against the Bible. They probably would explain it. But anyway, the story is this, that youth need engagement in the church settings and and I'm pleased to be here to give you this particular talk around just dinosaurs. And I think this will probably make a difference in your life as you grow up to become adults. And it is for this reason the fallouts and also the barriers to uh, Christianity, the reasons for ministry like CMI. We call ourselves an information ministry and we have a dedicated website with well over 11,000 articles and 700 videos. Most of them just one minute long, which is pretty easy for you uh, as young adults because I think you're, you're probably fast-paced and you have no time to look at you know, one-hour um, explanation on science and religion. So, creation.com, we have answers to a lot of questions that you might have in your, in your mind. You can search any word around evolution, around creation, and including even biblical subjects. You will sure to find some answers, and there will be a list of articles. You can go in and read the one which is most relevant to you. So we are here to equip you um, for, to prevent this fallout as you, become, as you grow up and become adults. We also have an app on Google Play, and I'm not sure on the Apple Store it is still working. I have the old link which is still working. The app will take you directly to the website, which is creation.com, and then you can search the relevant 
subject and do your active witnessing on the spot because you have answers. Okay? You do not need even uh, to understand the whole thing. Just ask the person to read the question they might have posed to you. So you might want to try, even right now, to download this app and get it installed. Um, I know Google Play, there is an app which is working. In Apple, it may not be working, in which case you can work around it. Go to your web browser, type in creation.com, and save that page on your uh, mobile device, and then it's always there for your witnessing. Okay? You can call it out again very quickly. How many of you have visited our website in the last week or so since you saw the announcement that I'm coming? I'm sorry? I can't hear you. Okay, you have, you have checked the website. It's brand new. We have actually redone the entire website from the US. And um, I type in alien, and I've got this article on alien intrusion, which really is about a movie to, there is a link between aliens and evolution. And so we're going to give you the answers why there is no aliens in space. This might not conform to what you're thinking because there's so many movies coming to our shore to tell you that there is an alien everywhere. So. Um, I think the DVD is available today. You can get the DVD as well if you need to. And um, we also have a newsletter called Infobytes. And uh, this is just take out today on uh, this particular water walking lizard. So there are some articles like this which are interesting. If interesting to you, of course, uh, you can read it. So what we do is we send out this Infobyte via email to your inbox to give you a heads up on available articles once a week. We don't spam your inbox, but just to let you know that there are new articles available. In fact, our website is very fresh. We have a lot of scientists and volunteers working to keep the uh, website current, plus one new article every day, okay? So this one, I think, came out probably a couple of weeks ago, this article. And um, all you need to do is to um, put in your name and email address. You sign up and we will do the, do the rest for you. Okay? This is free. So right now, I want to ask our friends to come forward to pass a clipboard around for you to sign up because it's much easier if you do it now than later on, you might forget. Make it important to keep you up to date on the faith-building news and articles uh, based on God's word. It is also your witnessing tool. Yeah? If it's an email, you can send it out to your friends, family members who are not yet uh, believers. And while you're signing up, I want to explain to you about science. Do you know that science is fallible? Fallible means there are limitations. It's not 100%. Science is not never 100%, okay? But we have two branches of science. One is called experimental science or operational science. And this is about how things work 
like the two pictures in on the slide, sp space exploration and chemistry. Okay. Now, these are observable, they are repeatable in the present. So you can do experiments over and over and over again. And the result should be reproducible. The limitation is that it is not always 100%. Sometimes you may not be able to reproduce the results you want or the last experiment that's been performed. So in the space shuttle example, we had an accident, we had delays. All the delays are because of uncertainties. They have to be really sure before they launch a shuttle into space so that lives are not lost. Okay? So, signs of limitations. There are occasionally some chemical explosions in the lab because the reactions are not very well done under the right conditions. Or perhaps the reagents do not interact and to produce the result you want. Okay? So, science is not always straightforward as claimed by the people in the world today to talk about evolution. There is also another branch of science called historical science, called forensic science. And this is about history in the past, which I alluded to earlier. History is defined by unique events, not observable, not repeatable in the present. And this is the major limitation of historical science. So how can we verify the past is true? Have you ever asked a question? The only way to verify that is through eyewitness accounts. Hopefully, more than two, two or more eyewitnesses independently share the same account of a particular event. And both evolution and creation are operating under historical science because we deal with things that have happened in the past. An example is on this slide, a paleontologist someone who studied fossils, okay? And he's got two pieces of fossil bones. And what he did was he extrapolated the bone fragments to a skull of an animal. Extrapolation is imagination because not all the evidences are available. And it should never be done in science. If it is done, it should be alerted to the audience that I'm making a conjecture. And this is so common and is never made clear in evolutionary science or evolutionary biology. And the paleontologist not just extrapolate to a skull animal, he will extrapolate the skull to the body of a mammal. And the third extrapolation was the mammal is or was the transitional form of a whale. Why does he do that? 
because the intention is to prove that the mammal from land has evolved to whale and they need a missing link in between. So this is putting the assumption in the conclusion. When you do that, we call that circular reasoning. It is a non-starter in science. This is not science, okay? So it was Philip Ginrich who discovered the fossil bones in Pakistan, and therefore it's called Pakistitas, which is a fantasy because not all the evidence were available. Seven years later, there's another evolutionist, Hans Division, who discovered a lot more fossil bones, and after reconstruction, the more complete fossil skeleton is actually a land mammal. There was no prevail transitional form between the land mammal and the whale. So these missing links are a real pain for evolutionists. Today, we have no transition in filling up the big gaps between, say, for example, apes and men, and other animals and apes, and so on and so forth. Never. No such transitions. Whenever you read in the paper, or perhaps even in publications, scientific publications, that a transition is found, just hang on. A few weeks or months or years down the road, this will be disclaimed again. Okay, just hang on. Stand on the word of God. The great news is that we have the history book of the universe, which is the Bible. It came directly from God, who was there in history. Because when you deal with history, history must have names, must have dates, and perhaps a description of the events that were taken place, whether broad or specific. And as a result, we say scriptures is inspired of God. And because it's inspired, it is inerrant, it is infallible. And these are the three key words you need to remember when you deal with scriptures. They are words coming directly from the mouth of God. So, we use the Bible in CMI and also in my workplace. The Bible to interpret the world around us, not science. We don't use science to interpret the world, okay? Because science could be wrong. So I don't find any contradiction as a scientist to practice my faith and to use the Bible in my work. To me, it's fantastic to see the world from God's point of view. So in the biblical worldview, using the Bible to interpret the world, then dinosaurs are no longer mysteries to us. Now, there are some dates I'd like to let you know before uh, we move on. And this is important to understand dinosaurs. So we start with uh, 1454, when 
Gutenberg invented the printing press, which is really important because then the knowledge multiplied and disseminated to the larger world. The second date was 1611, when the first major English translation called the King James Version was made available. And with the Gutenberg, it was also uh, printed as a Bible. In 1820, a gentleman by the name of Gideon Mantel discovered some big teeth in the south of the UK, which was later named as Iguanodon, the second dinosaur being named. These teeth are really big, okay? So they didn't know what was it. And it was not until 1841 that Richard Owens came along and he invented the word dinosaur, which means terrible lizards. That's one of the reasons why dinosaur was never used as a word in the Bible. The Bible existed well ahead of the word dinosaur. But this is just one of the reasons. The other reason is because the Bible used different words to describe these animals. And the words I'm going to introduce to you are beast, behemoth, one of the participants was a behemoth, and dragons. Okay. Let's come back to the status quo which we want to verify. Dinosaurs and mankind never live alongside each other. This is the worldview of the secular scientist. We will begin in Africa. We are going to take the most recent example before the word dinosaur was invented in 80-1800s. We don't know exactly, but based on the sculpture that was produced, the archaeologists believe that this was made sometime in the 1800s. So this is about um, a tribe called Dogon. They still exist today. They are very good with bronze sculpture. Their artwork depicted different types of animals, like horse, giraffe, crocodile, camel, including these two, which are Griposaurus and Orenosaurus. Look carefully on the screen. On the left is an adult riding on Griposaurus. On the right is a child riding on Orenosaurus. Okay? So not all dinosaurs are vicious. We do not know what's the reason they use a dinosaur for, whether it's for work, for transportation, but the minimum, they're keeping them as pet because they're riding on them, okay? Now, these animals are actually plant eaters, and that's the reason why they could ride on them. Now, we go to England now, in a town called Kalal, there is a cathedral which was built around 1123. 
Inside the cathedral, there was a tomb of Bishop Richard Bell, <coughs> who died in 19, 1496. And um, the tomb was covered by the blue carpet because there was just too many visitors. And um, so they want to protect the tomb. So when you uncover the blue carpet, you will see the tomb. And you will also have a, a brass fillet running around the edge of the tomb. On the brass fillet are depictions of various animals, such as fish, eel, dog, pig, bird, and even weasel. But there are two animals which are interesting logging their heads. And these are dinosaurs. They have been identified as Shunosaurus and Volcanodon. You look at the tail, very well depicted with a hook on the tail. In medieval time, the word dinosaur was not invented until 1841, and so these animals are called dragons. Okay? Now, let's go back to AD 1200 in Cambodia, now closer to home. In the Angkor complex are many, many temples, and there is one called Taprom, which was completed around 1280. And on the temple panel, on the temple panel are carvings of different animals including birds, water buffalo, deer, monkeys, on this circular, uh, within these circular motifs. Now, there is one unique animal which resembles a stegosaurus. Now, the dates of the carving are probably some 600 years before the first dinosaur fossil was ever discovered. So without paleontology, this temple artist sculptured Stegosaurus on the panel, just like the other animals. Pretty accurate. So in, we can only conclude that it is, must be something they recall or an animal that were present during the time. Okay. Recently, a second Stegosaurus imprint was also found somewhere else. Now, it is somewhat faded, but clearly it is a Stegosaurus. The narrow strap, which is in yellow, hangs down and then disappears under the animal. It could be a leash or restrainer because it could be a captive animal. Now, many people have written in the internet and dispute a lot of stuff around this particular animal. There are articles challenging those uh, challenges. 
And it is very clear from the entire analysis, if you are coming you know, from the neutral ground, that this animal is actually a dinosaur. Now we're going back further now to 206 BC when the zodiac was invented in China. There are 12 animals. I'm sure all of you know the zodiacs. There is one particular animal which is quite different from what we see today. And you would have guessed correctly, it is the dragon. If you look into the Chinese character, Dragon and dinosaur, they shared one common Chinese character called Long. So given that 11 animals are common, and one, we don't see it today, it has to be an ordinary animal they have encountered during those days as well. I used to believe that maybe the dragon was a mythical animal they just imagined. But it can't be. Starting from Africa in Mali, we look at those bronze sculptures to now. Along with other animals they sculptured or they um, imprint, they are actual animals they have seen or they have recalled from memory. Talking about dragon, there is a new type of dinosaur discovered in 2004 in South Dakota. And this one looks like a dragon, the head at least. And that's the reason why it is called Dracorex, which is after um, a particular um, fantasy novel, the name. And a closer look of the head. How many guess what does this animal eat? in those days, when it's alive. Vegetation, that's right. A fierce-looking animal, not necessary, is a meat-eater, okay? There was a very well-known professor in uh, Montana State University. Uh, his name is Jack Horner. And he cut up all the bones that he discovered in this particular graveyard in Montana. And examining the tissues, he could classify Dracorex as a younger version of the Pachycephalosaurus, which is the mature version. Now, when you are a paleontologist and you discover bones, you want to claim it yours, right? And so you try to name it differently from the others, and you say, I've discovered a new dinosaur. But Professor Jack Honor believes that, no, based on the tissue analysis, all these are of the same animal. It's just a version that has changed. The head becomes uh, what you call a big head, which is for actually for fighting for this particular species. Now, we're going back now to 1900 BC in Mesopotamia in a town called Uruk which is in present-day Iraq. Now, this imprint is made with a cylinder. A cylinder is basically like a kind of a, a stem, except that it is uh, circular. So when you run it on soft mud, it will, left, it will leave a print 
right? And this print with the soft mud hardened will become like a towel. And so they put it on the wall of uh, buildings, and this is one of them. <clears throat> now, these animals look very strange, right? So after reconstruction, we know it is called tiny surface, which means long vertebrae, okay? In fact, this could be a candidate for the Chinese dragon. However, we could all be wrong, because in China, the dinosaurs are quite different, according to um, paleontologists who have discovered dinosaurs all over the world. By the way, dinosaurs are discovered in every continent in the world, including the Antarctic and the Arctic uh, continent. Interesting. Why did dinosaurs walk in those continents? That's a question for you to find out. It should be in our website. So the drawings were remarkably accurate to what we know as reconstructed fossil. Before the word dinosaur was invented, and to produce, produce such accurate drawing, this must have been common animal that I encountered in those days. And in China, we have the Hongshan culture, which, who live around 2000 BC. And they mine jade, and they carve out various types of animals. Again, you know, turtle, wild boar, and dragons here. And here are two examples. One in the form of Centrosaurus, and the other one a Protoceratops. Remember, this was done very much earlier uh, in 2000 BC. Now, I want to take you to Job chapter 40 was 15 to 18, I'm going to read to you about a particular animal called behemoth. Behold now, behemoth, which I made as well as you. He eats grass like an ox. Behold now, his strength in his loins and his power in the muscles of his belly. Job, the book of Job was written about 700 years after the flood of Noah. Okay? And behemoth is a word, the only time mentioned is in Job, here, in chapter 40. Only time, nowhere else. Now, nobody knows exactly what it is, but there are good descriptions to tell us to make a guess what it is. So, let me read further. He bends his tail like a cedar. His, the sinews of his thighs are knit together. His bones are tubes of bronze. His limbs are like bars of iron. So, let's look at the cedar. This is a photo of the cedar trees in Lebanon. And I want you to look at the two people at the bottom how small they are compared to the trunks of the trees, okay? Of course, at the back, there are smaller trees. The front are the bigger ones. Now, some people, commentators, have written in the Bible notes that behemoth could be elephant or a hippopotamus. Let me put on the screen for you in scale. 
these animals have tails like ropes, not cedar trees. Okay? Perhaps we could do an experiment, a very quick one. We have a tail. Let's fit the body to the tail. Let's try this one. It looks weird, isn't it? Why don't we fit the hippo? I don't think the hippo would be able to walk around with this big tail, which is so heavy. How about this one? And now it looks that we could fit the right animal to the tail. So behemoth is a specific word for very large animals, and the largest animal we ever known are the sauropod dinosaurs. So, Job, 1700 BC, behemoth was mentioned. And we have Job drawn to scale there. And now, let me put on the description of the animal. Strength in the loins. Power in the belly. Cedar-like tail and iron legs. Okay? And I think the description very likely uh, points to a sauropod dinosaur. The largest animal ever discovered based on fossil records ever lived on land. Now let's go back to the flood. This is found in Genesis chapter 7, verse 8 to 9. Of clean beast means cattle, and of Beasts that are not clean, and these are likely the dinosaurs. And of fowls, and of everything that creep upon the earth, they, they went in two and two unto Noah into the ark, the male and the female, as God has commanded Noah. So the flood came around in about 2500 B.C., which is about 4,500 years ago. And see the notes in, highlighted in, in, uh, in amber, in orange? The Lord God sent the animals to Noah. Okay? Noah did not have to round up the animals. And so those animals that are not sent to Noah, when the flood came, they were all drowned and they were buried by sediments. And that's the reason why the fossils are found today, buried under those rock layers. Now, I want you to watch a video. I need our helper at the back to help me to click on the video, if you can. Researchers from Montana State University... In the early 90s, researchers from Montana State University made a startling discovery. Inspecting a piece of T-Rex bone under a microscope, they could hardly believe their eyes. They could see dinosaur red blood cells. This discovery prompted lead scientist Dr. Mary Schweitzer to say, it was exactly like looking at a slice of modern bone. But of course I couldn't believe it. I said to the lab technician, the bones after all are 65 million years old. How could blood cells survive that long? 
In a Discover magazine article, Dr. Schweitzer explained further her surprise. If you take a blood sample and stick it on a shelf, you have nothing recognizable in about a week. So why would there be anything left in dinosaurs? Such a response is understandable, considering that she thinks dinosaurs died out 65 million years ago. But surely such data suggests it wasn't that long ago. To find out more from Creation Ministries International, visit our website, creation.com. So, the status quo, remember, that men and dinosaurs never lived in the same era? Now, these tissues, the red blood cells, show us that they cannot be preserved over 65 million years. It has to be recent, okay? That's the only option. So, if we go to the history book, the Bible, then we can trace it to the flood. When they were buried, these bones are partially fossilized. That's the reason why the tissues are still inside the bone. Yeah? And it's all because it was Professor Jack Honor's student, Mary Schweitzer. He, she analyzed it, but Professor allowed it to be cut up. In the museum, you don't see bones are being cut up. They are well preserved. Now, some may think that what I'm telling you does not make sense because I'm hearing the millions of years from carbon dating or radiomatic dating, okay? Now, this is a record of carbon dating on a bone of hydrosol, dark-billed dinosaur. And without telling the laboratory the time period where these dinosaurs went extinct, and the lab test came out with a series of dates from the same bone, depending on the part of the minerals of the bone's you know, fossilization, ranging from about 2,500 years to about 25,600 years. So the question is, which date is correct? when you have four different answers. If you check the history book, none of this is correct, <laughs> right? So you can see the carbon dating technique is not reliable because there are unknown assumptions. Maybe I'll make it clearer in this next slide, which is on radiomatic dating using the potassium argon method. Normally, paleontologists do not date fossils because they cannot use carbon, which has a very short half-life of about 5,630 years. They need elements like potassium argon to give them those millions and millions of years. Okay? So there are seven assumptions that must be um, fulfilled in carbon and radiomatic dating. You need to know the starting amount, but we do not know. And then, you need to know how much is gained and how much is lost in the potassium isotope, and we do not know. Then the next thing is, we also need to know the argon, the starting amount, when the dating starts. And we also need to know any gain and any loss in the 
argon isotope, and we do not know. So six unknowns, plus the seventh one, the rate of decay is assumed to be linear over the millions of years. But we know there are at least two major historical events that are not linear. The flood is one example. Okay? So all the seven assumptions are violated in the dating method. So if you have, for those who are doing math and science, if there are seven unknowns in the equation, how do you calculate the answer? You have to make assumptions, okay? And the assumptions will give you a wrong answer. Let me give you an example. Now, these are different minerals produced uh, in a particular lava dome. It's um, done by one of our colleagues, Steve Austin, a creationist. So he knows the in and out of dating. So what he does is he collected this particular rock sample, and he did not tell the lab exactly what age range looked for. So asked the lab to come up with you know, some dates, and this is what he got. The whole rock is dated at 350,000 years. The pyroxene mineral too, 2.8 billion years. The time when it was analyzed, it was 1990. The eruption was 1980. So the piece of rock was only 10 years old. Every time there's an eruption, the magma were remixed. Uh, when it cooled down, the clock start again. So you can actually validate the dating technique, whether it's correct or not, using volcanic eruptions. We have many tests like this. In New Zealand, a couple of tests have done on some of the volcanoes there. Everything is wrong. So this is not science, because there is a preconceived notion on the age of the Earth and the universe. And because of that, they have to stick to it, because if they don't stick to it, then they have to go with the history of the world, which is only 6,000 years. And they cannot do that because God is mentioned in that history. So to be an atheist, I will use billions of years. So this is the um, equipment, the potassium-argon spectrometer, highly sophisticated. But it does not measure the age directly. It's just a guesstimate of what the age would be. Okay? Now, these are common fossils buried at the same layer as dinosaurs. So we have the turtle's shell, the willow leaf, the fig have been found. Now, these, according to the evolutionary classification, they are within ballpark in the dinosaur era. However, there are also four others like crocodile, alligator, redwood, and garfish which are living outside the dinosaur era, but they're buried together with the dinosaurs. So the question is, what on earth are these fossils doing in the same layer of dinosaurs? They're supposed to come much later, right? So 
some of these burials are not in sync with what they claim to be. And worse still, did you see the zero in this date? That means they are still found today. Why have they not evolved? Why do we still see them today? This is called evolution stasis, which means that there is no evolution. And it poses a great difficulty to the evolutionists. They can't explain it. So here are some facts on radiomatic dating. No instrument can measure the age of the rocks. All dating methods are based on assumptions. And you can get any age you like, depending on the assumptions you made. Okay. So this takes us back to Genesis 1, 25, on the sixth day of creation. God made the beasts of the earth after their kind and the cattle after their kind and everything that creeps on the ground after its kind and God saw that it was good. Now this is repeated in the verse in Genesis 7 which we read when the animals were sent to the ark. Okay? Same group of animals. So we know dinosaurs are real because they are fossils. We can see them. And they had to be part of the animal group in day six because they are land animals. Dinosaurs are land animals. So, logically, dinosaurs are not cattle because cattle are clean animals and they are not creepers because dinosaurs never creep on the ground. So they had to be the beasts of the earth, which include the words like dragons being used elsewhere and also behemoths, which we have seen just now in Job 40. So when we put dinosaurs and also the creation of man later than the animal on the same day, they must have contemporaries since the beginning of creation. And this is what we can stand on, the word of God. Because Genesis chapter 1 verse 1 is the most important faith-defining statement ever made. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And then it followed by, from verse 2 onwards, every group of things that we see today have been created. Some have gone extinct, yes, but many we still see today. So our faith is rested on a God who created the heavens and the earth. You remember the heavens are even bigger than the earth. Because God is all-knowing, all-present, and all-powerful. And he can do it in six days. All this he has created. So it is so important to have the biblical teachings linked to Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. If you can believe in this verse, really believe in this verse, don't mess around with the word day. Try to lengthen it, elongate it then you can believe the rest of the Bible. If you start to question Genesis chapter 1, you start to question Genesis chapter 2, and then chapter 3, and then any parts of the Bible you can question as well, including, including the resurrection of Lazarus or the resurrection of Christ. Because all these are miraculous events. 
So the circular world will tell us one dinosaur age, but I contend that there are actually five. They were formed about 4,000 years ago, and then they were fallen because of the corruption of the whole creation after Adam and Eve sinned against God. And then they were flooded out in the great flood that covered the whole earth. And after that, they just faded from history. But they were found again in about 1800 to the present. So this is the short, brief history of dinosaur according to the history book that we can rely on. And dinosaur was never used in the Bible because it is a recent invention and the Bible has different words to describe uh, dinosaurs. So I can only encourage you to put your faith in the history book which describes beasts, behemoths, and dragons known to us as dinosaurs. And different cultures have confirmed that they have encountered dinosaurs. Otherwise, they wouldn't have produced those sculptures or printing the same as dinosaurs. And also the soft tissues that you've seen in the video and the blood cells, which are so well preserved, suggest that dinosaur extinction was very recent. Up to 4,500 years ago when the Great Flood came to put them into the different rock layers. But the recent encounters as early as 1880. We can trust in the inspired word of God which is precise, reliable, and the truth. And it is our Bible to interpret the world. And I want to read to you a few more verses before I close. John 5, verse 45. Do not think that I will accuse you before the Father. The one who accuses you is Moses in whom you have set your hope. For if you believe Moses, you would believe me, for he wrote about me. But if you do not believe his writings, how will you believe my words? Very strong words from Jesus who authenticated the authorship of Moses and also all the accounts in the writing of Moses. Right from the beginning, God was there in John chapter 1, verse 1 to 3. He said, and it was so. So he became the world. So he came, he became flesh and walked with us about 4,000 years, uh, 2,000 years ago. So if Jesus defends Genesis, so must we. And we should not be intimidated when people say we are divisive. We can quote the scriptures. We are not divisive. Jesus quoted. It's not our words. It's Jesus' words. We are just representing Jesus, defending Genesis. And very quickly, to help you to do that, we published a lot of, a lot of resources which we brought today. And this one is probably the most important, the creation magazine. It is really one of the most effective resources that we have because we have written in uh, testimonies 
of how blessed they were by reading it. Um, it started in 1987, defending Genesis for over 40 years now, goes out to 140 countries, four issues per year, no advertising, 54 pages of pure, life-changing information. And I just want to show you one testimony, a very powerful one. I was converted when someone gave me a creation magazine. Then I subscribed for five of my relatives. Four of them have now come to the Lord. So I say we are information ministry. There are many people out there, they cannot believe Christianity, they cannot believe in Christ because of the stumbling block that plays in front of them. That is evolution. Because evolution say life makes itself without God. So they can't believe it. And we also are using these resources to help you to strengthen your faith so that you continue to grow and walk with God even when you become adults. So you know you can use it for evangelism once you pass it or once you have read it. Yeah? Living in a doctor's office, um, clinic, uh, living in the classroom, staff room maybe, create some commotion in the, in the school. And if you subscribe the print copy, it comes with a digital version, downloadable on five separate devices, which of course you can share around in your family, essentially six copies for the price of one. So this is a fantastic deal. We also publish other books, um, tracks. We have tracks that you want to do evangelism, DVDs, and also we have a technical journal as well. Uh, these books are also in crew, so if you buy books in crew, you can go there and look at you know, the display. And if there is one book you uh, need to get today, I recommend you buy the Answers book. Unfortunately, we only have four copies left because we did a lot of events this, this month. And, um, but I can refer you also to uh, Six Days if you can't get this copy. Six days, and also there are some smaller booklets. And um, the answers book is actually going for $7 for students. Okay? So those booklets we have are only $4. We also comics. Don't, don't think that comics are for young children. They're for us, people like us as well, because it's just made into you know attractive way of illustrating the, um, the, the content. So they contain quite meaty uh, substances. <coughs> Now, on the subscription form, what we need you to do is, uh, if you want to subscribe, to write down your name, your phone number, your address, postcode, and your email address, and then tick either one year or three years. And remember to tear it off and go to the book table and pay uh, later on. And this will help us. If you subscribe, we also have free gifts for you. We give you one back issue of the magazine for either one year or three year subscription. And if you, have, you do a one-year subscription, we also give away this particular DVD on Darwin, which is really a story about how Darwin got his ideas so you can watch it and understand uh, his motivation of uh, looking at the evolution theory. 52-minute documentary, high movie-making standards. And if you do a three-year subscription, we will give you this gold standard called Evolution's Achilles which is really to attack evolution with a number of arguments from science, okay? 
So this is an excellent tool also for evangelism, particularly for university students. And we also have uh, a number of books on dinosaurs, and I've taken some of the photos from this particular book called Un Untold Secrets, Planet Earth, Dragons. Sorry, it's not advancing. There you are. Um, so I got some pictures from these books, and uh, they're also available in the table at the back. And we also have this very comprehensive book, uh, which is supposed to be written for uh, young adults, but also suitable for adults like, like me. So this is a comprehensive book on dinosaurs. And we have, you are interested to find out about alien story, we have alien intrusion um, with the movie. If you can't find it, that means you are sold out. So you have to order from our online store, or you go to Crew and get it in uh, Crew. And if you're young children, you have uh, brothers and sisters who are young, you want to give them a present, this is a good pack to give. And for those of you who doesn't want to read, you want to just watch videos, and we have also the core issues in the DVD pack. Okay. Now, we are called to evangelize. 1 Peter 3, verse 15. But sanctify Christ as the Lord in your hearts, always being ready to make a defense. Give an account for the hope that is in you, yet with gentleness and reverence. So like a lifeguard, you are ready to be a rescuer today for your loved ones, for your friends, co-workers, and particularly those who are lost in the world. Okay? Now, evolution, sometimes they claim as science facts, and they confuse us like this puzzle here. Do you know that in Genesis chapter 1, verse 3, if you count the number of times God said the phrase, you know how many times? 18 times. Plus the other verb as well. And you know what? The serpent only said once. What did the serpent say? Has God really said directly challenging God. And this one time is sufficient for the world to imagine an alternative to creation called evolution. But they don't believe God said. The 18 times God said. So if you remove this puzzle of deception, then we see it clearly. Genesis points to the creator, Jesus Christ, as our redeemer, the hope for humanity, and all fallen creation. Even kids, like yourselves here, yeah, some of you are pretty young, if you can read English in your English Bible, you should be able to understand the literal text from Genesis without problem. Creation does not confuse So, dinosaurs were created from day six of creation. The Bible called them uh, beasts, dragons, and behemoths. And we have the testimonies of the different cultures who interacted with these animals. And we have the evidence from the soft tissues and red blood, red blood cells, which testify to a very recent extinction. So, dinosaurs and men are contemporaries, 
and the mystery should be resolved today. And the status quo is falsified today as well. Okay? So this is the approach to do science. Now, just like Peter said in 3.10, dinosaur extinct with the water, but the future judgment is by fire. And where do you stand today? If you are a believer, you keep yourself with the knowledge coming from the Bible so that you can evangelize effectively. If you are not yet a believer today, today is a day of repentance and reception that Christ can come into your life. Speak to any of the youth leaders today, yeah, if you are in that situation. So, I promise you we're going to play Kahoot again. So, I need you to do it uh, pretty quickly because, uh, let me see, what is the time? Six o'clock, we still have half an hour. Um, I, like, I like to have some questions from you so that I can actually deal with some of the um, flags maybe that are raised in your, in your, in your mind um, throughout the talk, yeah? Make sure you choose the one with 10 questions. Where is Behemoth? Identify yourself. some dropped out. This is a repeat question. 
I will be disappointed you get this wrong. these three people? Where were you? This is also a repeat question. Biblical worldview. Okay, read the question carefully. Go to Genesis chapter 1, verse 31, okay? Uh, 30, 30. This is a difficult one. I didn't mention this one, I apologize.
just hang on a minute. Um, I'm sorry I didn't mention this one. I, I supposed to, to talk about it because of time. Um, I did mention about the, um, the Dracorex, which uh, evolutionists classify four different species, but they're actually one, right? So when you compress all this classification, you should have only about 50 to 55 kinds of dinosaurs, okay? So not all the fossils that we see today need to fit into the ark, but the ancestors of those kinds, because the Bible did say that they have to reproduce kind after kind, so the ancestors of the dinosaurs are only 50 to 55 kinds at most on the ark. Okay. Okay. This should be easy, this one. All the movies are fantasies, okay? Okay. See, looks like the K the. Right? Well done. Who is Kaiser? Secret player. <coughs> okay, we've we've done. So I'm open to any questions that you might have. Um, clarification, comment, maybe even you want to comment, and um, questions, of course. <clears throat> I, I have, maybe I should start the ball rolling. I have the question from uh, the young lady there on how do you resolve the conflict between uh, science and religion? Okay? Is that right? Science and religion? Yeah. Now, this is a very common challenge from uh, maybe those who have studied a little bit of science, particularly your teachers, maybe, or maybe from you know, the media, uh, evolution believers, evolutionist believers. So it's pretty easy, because I've covered it in the beginning of part of it, talking about uh, operational science and historical science. Yeah? 
And both creation and evolution are under historical science, which means that it is history, a piece of history. So if it is a piece of history, then you need eyewitnesses. Okay? That's the only way to verify history is correct. And um, so the challenge is basically around, well, science is facts, religion is faith. So facts and, and faith doesn't, doesn't reconcile, cannot, recon, cannot be reconciled. Yeah? But if you look at evolution, if it is evolution and creation are in the same category, so if you guess without eyewitnesses what happened in the past, then you're believing something which is based on faith, whether you call it science or religion. It's the same, right? So this is a differentiation you need to make when you're being challenged, okay? So it's quite easy to ask, to, 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 to give some explanation and then ask another question. So how do you know this happened? They will give you a very general statement usually. Oh, that's what the scientists told us. So how did these scientists know what happened? And then they wouldn't, wouldn't, wouldn't be able to give you any more further. Then what you want to drill down to is really you want facts. You want the date, you want the event, and you want the people identifying those events. Okay? So if you can go drill down, they will be challenged, and they will start to think again, oh, so I'm believing something which it may not be true. Okay? So we have a question over there. Yeah. Uh can I, can I understand uh, what is your take on the difference between evolution and adaptation? Because uh, we do see that there's adaptation, like uh, in your dinosaur example, the, the dinosaur become having a bigger head. Uh. Whereas, uh, so <coughs> some, a scientist or uh, an evolutionist might think that that's an example of evolution. You know what I mean? That they, that they yeah, adapt. Okay. Yeah. Yep. That, that, the that, they, that they phenotypically yeah. look different yeah. over time. Yeah. The uh, maybe just a clarification on the young dinosaur becoming a, you know, growing up, grown up dinosaur. That is not adaptation. That is simply um, ontogeny. Oh, oh, so you're saying you're saying uh, those are. They they just grow up and become. Oh, they just grow up. Oh, I see. Okay, yeah. okay. So then, then then I'll give yeah. an example myself then. So yeah. let's say uh, a species that we often see that they change and adapt would be bacteria. So because their, their life cycle is so short, we are able to see them across multiple generations. And they acquire resistance towards antibiotics, for mm. example. Uh, so these are, are definitely new acquirements in their genome. Uh, so so it's, 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 it's kind of an example that they do evolve, in a sense. Uh, if we use the word adapt, then, then it would be more in, link, in, yeah, yeah. in sync. For all creationists uh, in the six-day young earth um, world, the space, we believe in natural selection. Okay? What you described there is a bacteria turning into a bacteria. With the loss of function, there is no new genetic information. Okay? So that is what has been discovered by scientists who did resistance work in the lab with this kind of bacteria. In my own field of study, uh, I, my PhD study was on the uh, development of, I never use the word evolution, I use the word development of resistance 
do herbicides. Okay? So when you apply herbicides to kill weeds, after a long period of time, the weed would become resistant to that herbicide and will survive. And so you need to use a different method to control the weeds. Yeah? But we don't see a change from the species to another species because that will require significant accumulation of new information. There is no way, no way against the thermodynamic principles that we can see today that a species can take on new information right. unless it is artificially introduced. We have genetically modified crops, like for example, we have corn, we have soybean, cotton, that can resist against certain herbicides. That's because we introduce a gene from another species and insert it into the genome to express itself. Yeah, I understand. Uh, but then what about, so it doesn't explain why from one bacteria to the next, but then it does acquire this new resistance, doesn't it? It explains. People have found out there are different reasons um, the resistance are usually target site or metabolic breakdown, mm -hmm. uh, which we know from the uh, crop protection world. So it's basically a loss of functions. Okay. Uh, what about what do you think about uh, adaptive radiation? So, like in the Galapagos finches, when they when there's uh, when they have uh, different kind of beaks, and so. You're so talking about the finches. The finches in the, the finches of Darwin. Islands. Yeah, yeah, that's right, that's right. The finches of Darwin is actually one interbreeding group. Yeah. The I think I cannot remember the name of the the couple who goes back to the Galapagos to study the finches over many, many years. They they found that during the dry season, right. okay, so the food source are much less on the island. So the bigger, the finches, the bigger beak, beak, they survive better than the ones with a smaller beak. Because when they start to eat, they take the uh, food source easier, you know, the smaller seed. Then they have to go to the bigger seed if they don't have enough food source. So the, you know, the one, right, right, the, right. the finches, the bigger beak, so they can actually open up those, um, those uh, bigger seed to take the, um, the, the, the so-called flesh inside, the, right. um, inside the, the seed, as you say, basically food, fruit, isn't it? Right, right, yeah. yeah. Okay. So they don't, they don't um, basically go from a smaller to a bigger species, or, or bigger to a smaller species. It's just the population changes. Shift, a shift in so, the population. Yeah, population shift. And then when the wet season comes, so there are a lot of food. Then the, the population shifted back again to a balance, uh, big peaks and small peaks, uh, okay. finches. All right, okay. thank you. So this is not evolution. Okay. It's common adaptation. Okay, thank you. So then how about, how about for, okay, so the theory that apes evolved to humans came from the fact that we have similar like bone structures with apes. For example, like, uh, the theory suggested that tailbone, the tailbones in human that apparently do not serve any functional, uh, does not serve any function, came from the fact that we evolved from apes who have tails. So how does that uh, fit into this in the Bible? I think it's a misnomer to call it a tailbone. Yeah. 
I don't think human beings have tail from the start, right? And um, sometimes you need to um, <coughs> be careful of what you read because evolution was you words to describe something, basically to, to make it sound like um, it's, it's, a, it's an interesting area to, to look at. Yeah? But I, human beings have no tailbones, okay? Um, so, so they just use it because they want to refer uh, to, the, to the evolution of apes to man. And that's the reason why they do it. And then just now when you mentioned about evolution, you talked about how like um, the genes usually have like a loss of mutation, which is why how adaptation appeared. So how about gain of function mutations, which appears in like oncogenes? There are very few beneficial mutations uh, that is registered. I would recommend you read a book by uh, Robert uh, John Sanford called Genetic Entropy you have to measure gene at the population level, okay? Uh, mutation, maybe even if it is beneficial, it may not evangelize in the population level because the survival of the population not based on one single gene, but based on an interaction of all these genes at the phenotypic level, okay? So when you deal with population genetics, you will deal with the phenotypic expression of those genes. Yeah. And there is no way um, mutation would give you so many beneficial genes that this particular species will become a different species later on or express itself. Most of the mutations are actually harmful. We have over a thousand inherited diseases in human beings. Okay? And this is because of bad mutations. Bad mutations is the result of copying errors in the DNA replication, okay? Every time during sexual reproduction, when the male and female gamete come together, whether animal or, or human beings, there is a build-up of the mutation. Some evolutionist geneticists like Haldane, interesting read, you should, you should try to get out of some of his papers, he was saying, how come human beings have not gone extinct because there are so much uh, mutations accumulated over the so many generations, okay? And the reason is because sexual reproduction is good for the maintaining of the good genes. And that's why the Lord said twice, first after creation, that you should multiply and be fruitful and multiply in few years. Then the second time after uh, the flood, told Noah again the same thing. Be fruitful and multiply in a few years. Hum human populations and also animal populations that are based on sexual reproduction must have sexual reproduction to propagate the kind or the species. Otherwise, we will not survive. You just look at Europe. It's going to be a problem. The negative growth rate of uh, point, I think 0.05 or something like that, percent population growth rate. Very bad. And Singapore should not be like that, okay? So when you grow up, have children. Married and have children. <laughs>
Any more questions? Um, so you believe that the Earth was created in six days, right? Yes. Um, how do you define a day before the sun was created? There was a light source before the sun was created. Uh -huh. Yeah. And if you read in the, en en the entire account of Genesis chapter 1, <coughs> the first evening and morning, then followed by one day. Okay? The one day translation is in the New American Standard Bible. The other translation is first day. But according to the Hebrew scholar, one day is more accurate translation rather than the first day. The reason is because God wants to define the first day as one day as an absolute number. An absolute, then there was evening, then there was morning. So 12 hours elapsed, then evening, 12 hours elapsed, then morning, so 24 hours, which means that the earth is rotating on its axis, pointing to a light source, which is not specified in Genesis, except it say that there was light. Yeah? So it's probably a light source from God. So God did not change, but maintained consistency of the first day. Then there was evening, there was morning, second day. Then there was evening, there was morning, third day, until day six. And day four is when the sun and the moon were, were created, and also the stars. Argue that in place of the sun, God was there in the center of our solar system. And not necessarily God was, was there, that it, it was a light source from God. Yeah. So how would you define time? You mean 24 how hours? Would, yeah, how would you define an hour I, before the sun was created, before the earth was? Rotated? 24 hours? Because it is consistently used, there was evening, there was morning. From day one to day six. Can I ask, um, do you believe that the Garden Eden of Eden is on Earth and where it is? Because some people say it's in the Middle East. Mm. That is, is a recent article in the Creation Magazine. In fact, the latest issue, oh. you can read about it. Uh, very briefly, Eden is real, was a real place. But with the flood, the flood has actually remix the entire um, uh, earth crust. That means about, I think about 80 kilometers, the earth crust is all remixed. And so we do not exactly know where Eden is today, but formally, it is most likely in the Middle East. The reason is because the ark landed on Mount Ararat, which is towards a little bit towards the north, northern part of the Middle East region. Okay? So we cannot be sure because of the flood of Noah. Thank you. Are there any questions from this side? You go first. Yeah, um, so you said God defines a day as 24 hours between morning and night, but in the Bible it also says that um, God's time is a thousand days 
compared yeah. to men. So, are you sure when he, when he says in the Bible that 24 hours is really 24 hours? Yes, I'm 100% sure the day in Genesis yeah. is 24 hours. The reason because you have to use it in context. Okay? So, in the thousand years you're talking about, which is referenced in Peter, yeah. is talking about the second coming, the patience of God, waiting for men to come to repentance. Okay? The context is not creation. The word day is used many, many times over the entire book of Genesis. And the context is always one day. Yeah? Used in one day. And we do not... We, we think it is interesting to see that the evolutionists and also the so-called progressive Christians with the Christian apologists always attack the day defined in Genesis chapter 1, but not elsewhere. You know why? Because it doesn't fit their theory. So they attack it. Yeah. So I bring you the context again. So in my father's day, I used to eat curry. And I put in context my father and curry, that means when my father is alive, we used to have a lot of curry in the dinner. That is context, okay? So you read Genesis in context, evening, morning. Has to be a day, as we know today. Because Genesis is written not just for scientists, it's for you, kids. If you know how to read a language, you should be able to understand Genesis chapter 1 very clearly. If God created in six days, well, I believe it. Then you need faith to believe God created the universe and the earth in six days. Okay? Just like you need faith to believe that evolution took 3.8 billion years from the first cell to the current complexity or diversity of life forms. Uh, the mic is coming along. I think everyone should listen to your question. So, uh, you know the young earth theory believes that earth is a few thousand years old. So 6,000, about 6,000. 6,000. So, mm. in theory, some stars are very far away. So, how do we actually get to see all the stars? Because, you know, light uh, take 3 times 10 to the power 8 meters a second. I like your question. <laughs> this is the first time I've been asked the question, and I want to answer the question, but... Um, in the Genesis answer book, we have a way of this explaining it, but there are basically seven ways to explain the light travel time issue. Okay? Now, I'm going to quote from the, um, the, the book that we have today, but I want to tell you our view may change. Because it deals with the past, we can only conjecture what actually happened. Okay? We are revising it now because we have more physics uh, being understood in our community. We have some very good physicists in our CMI, and we are now reviewing uh, the chapter on light travel time. If anyone is a communication engineer dealing with satellites, okay, this is how it happened. On Earth, the clock 
is what we call a normal Earth clock, right? If you put the same clock and put into the satellite, that clock will run slower. The reason is because it is further away from the Earth and further away from the gravity. Okay? Gravity will slow down the clock. And if you have different places in the universe, so you have clocks running at different speed. Yeah? At the edge of the universe, where gravity is so far away from, uh, from the clock, it will be infinitely fast, the clock. Okay? So the clock is not constant throughout the universe. And if you read Isaiah, I cannot remember exactly what verse, but you can search for it. Stretch out. Maybe two words you can put in. Stretch out the heavens. God stretched out the heavens during creation. There are, I think, seven or six verses referring to it, referring to creation of the earth and the universe. Okay? So our current stand, which may be corrected, is that when God created the heavens, he created the stars in a small volume, and then he stretched it out, and now those stars are so far away, it appeared to us that they are about 14 billion light years, but instead they were created on day four. But it's because of the miraculous stretching out of the heaven by God. That is our explanation today, but it could change. Okay? Now, the evolution uh, theory, they have a problem with the Big Bang Theory. The Big Bang Theory cannot explain also the light travel time. So they invented a few factors, including dark energy and dark matter. And that's the reason for the... Uh, the accelerator in CERN, right? They're looking for the God particle. I can tell you, they will never be able to find it. There is no such thing as God particle, okay? So the Big Bang Theory is based on a set of equations and is incorrect when you measure up with the Bible because in the Bible, you have one question there. It was the Earth created first, not the Sun. The Big Bang is the stars, the Sun, the Earth, then the Moon. According to the Bible, the earth, then the moon, the sun, and the stars. Okay. There's um, one question. Okay, is the earth flat? <laughs> there is a verse in the Bible that talks the circle of the earth. Yeah? So I think this is easy. Um, just fly a spaceship up and have a look, right? And we have done some, we have done some experiments, actually done this experiment, and the article will be published in uh, Creation magazine. We were chasing the moon for about one and a half months. The, the eclipse of the moons, the phases of the moon, should align with the a particular equation to calculate the, um, the so-called orbit of the moon around the sun. Uh, around the Earth, and the Earth around the Sun, okay? So we have checked that, and the phases measured exactly with the uh, globe Earth model, it failed in the flat Earth model. 
Okay? So this is experiment you can do. I just heard today in the news that um, the flat earth community, they are going to go to the edge of the earth in Antarctica, I think, Antarctica. They want to look and see if, if there is a cliff at the edge of the earth. Okay? So. Oh, uh, yeah, I have another question. So just now when you said that there weren't any intermediates that uh, transistored that, tr that showed like the land mammals moving to the sea, just how we was involved. But uh, there are a few there are a few mammal fossils that show that um, the legs have shrunk and they are more adapted to life in water. Like the body mass index of the bones analyzed showed that they were more adapted to life in water, and so they were suggested to be intermediates that transitioned from like a deer all the way to a whale. So the question I have is, how do you know? Like evidence suggests that. Uh, that their life, that their, that their bone structure along with their features are all adapted for life in water, which is not found in um, land mammals. But you still don't know. I mean, yeah. Right? Yes. Because you, you have to see it happening, then you, you'll be sure what actually happened. So this, this is all being uh, sort of uh, theorized and written and published because there is a preconceived notion to satisfy the long age of the earth and how things came about, okay? So there are no data, hard data to support what they claim. You know, you have to do experiment. Show me an experiment that there is transition happening. If you cannot show it, hard luck. You know, you have to substantiate your theory. It has to be verifiable. Yes? You said that about 50 animals, 50 different kinds of dinosaurs went on to the ark, right? So where are they now? Or what happened to them? Okay. So we, we saw some of the artifacts from the different cultures here. So they died out. And after the flood, there was a very warm climate. Okay? After the flood. The reason is because of the um, of the of the, of the, of the of it's, it's not very long that the warm climate, and then because because of the volcanic dust in the air as well, so there was a lot of uh, you know they covered the sun, so we actually entered into a period of ice age, yeah, and. Some creation scientists have looked back, looking at model, looking at the, um, the, 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 the ice crust. They sample the ice crust and look at um, all this, and they think, not sure, that maybe the ice age is about 500 to 700 years. Okay? And so the dinosaur that came out, because they're big animals, remember they're big animals, yeah? so they could not acclimatized to the Ice Age. So many of them died out. And after that, those that will remain, they probably have a lot of habitats because of um, urban development uh, and also competition with the men. So hunting, so that have killed off uh, the dinosaurs and so the dinosaurs extinct because of a combination of factors. We cannot be sure 
But we think these are more attainable than what is being proposed by the evolutionary world. Um, yeah, and I think that probably should deal with your question. Thank you. It's history. Uh, I have a question. Because uh, just now when uh, my friend asked, right, you say like provide substantial evidence and everything to like support your claim. So like recently, like a few weeks ago, one of my friends who is a non-believer, he asked me, because um, I'm a new believer, then he asked me, hey, so your Bible says your earth is 6,000 years old, but scientists all have like concrete evidence, like uh, I don't know about the like data, anyway, uh, the carbon dating and stuff, right? But I don't know about that, of course I'm quite young, but yeah. So like, I, I really want to believe like, because I'm a believer, so I believe that it's 6,000 years old. But then, I want to like tell my friends that I also have concrete evidence to prove my theory, but actually I don't. So, do you have any idea, like any concrete evidence? Yeah. Um, Mark 10, 6, start with that. Jesus said, from the beginning, he created them male and female. From the beginning of creation. Beginning of creation means the start of creation, right? Creation week. If you believe in the long age, that means you are saying Adam and Eve was created or were created or came about at the end of the 4.5 billion years. Does it make sense? Re related to the gospel, yeah? So now I want to bring in the gospel. So Adam and Eve was created in day six. And then he sinned almost immediately. Okay? Within days or within weeks, we don't know. But almost immediately, they sinned against God. So, if Adam and Eve came much later, 3.8 billion years, then you're talking about a lot of death and sufferings already happened before Adam and Eve came about. But the Bible says in verse 31, Genesis chapter 1, that everything was very good at the end of the creation week. Okay? Very good means there is no sin, no suffering, no violence. And that's the reason why the animals were all vegetarians. And mankind were also vegetarians. Because in the preceding verse, Verse 30 talk about the food that the animals and the men eat, which, is, which are vegetation. Okay? So if you have the long age, man came about at the end of the 3.8 billion years, then the gospel doesn't make sense anymore. Because the gospel is not based on death, but it's based on the sin of Adam and Eve. Okay? And Adam and Eve was cursed and had to die. Yeah? Then the promise of the gospel in as early as Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. Evolution is based on the struggle of existence, right? So a struggle for existence. The struggle for existence means that you have a group of individuals, they fight until the most fittest the fittest ones will survive. These fittest will carry on 
and they will reproduce, they will fight, and then the next fetus will survive. And then gradually they will evolve because of this fitness struggle. So, does God use death to create a world? Cannot be. Why? Because God, the God of the Bible is love, compassionate, and loving. Cannot be using violence to, to create a world. So, the whole long-age thinking, even from the Christian point of view, is not compatible with the gospel we know. Because the gospel is based on the original sin in the Garden of Eden, not based on the death that preceding Adam and Eve. So I show you the radiomatic dating. Yeah, it is incorrect. The piece of volcanic rock is only 10 years old, but it's dated between 350,000 to 2.8 uh, million years because the dating is inaccurate. And you know what they do in dating? Let's say they found a piece of fossil, whatever it is, fish, whatever, in this rock layer. They don't date this rock layer. They date the one above and below. They call it bracketing. And then they sample the rock in that layer, between the two layers. They send to the lab and they say, um, Mr. Technician, I would expect a uh, date range of, let's say, 200 to about 250 million years. So the lab would take different samples from that piece of rock and analyze it and send it back to the, you know, the so-called paleontologist. And the paleontologist look at it. I think this one will fit my theory. So I pick this one. The rest, I think, is contamination. So they picked the most suitable one to publish. This is called cherry picking. We don't cherry pick results. We have to be able to answer, reconcile all the results that come back. Okay? So radiomedic teaching is not correct because all the long age theory is based on radiomedic dating. I'm sorry? cockroach. Conclusion. No, they don't know the age of the earth. We know because in the Bible you have a genealogy of Adam to, to Abraham. It's all specified in Genesis chapter 5 and 11. It's about 2,000 years. And from Abraham to Christ, it's about 2,000 years. So from Christ to now, about 2,000 years. So this is history. Yeah? And there are eyewitnesses. Yeah? Uh, can someone pass a mic to my colleague? Um.
Okay, one of the questions was about the Cossix or the tailbone. Uh, Cossix, medically it's called Cossix. Uh, and um, you know what we call as vestigial uh, organs like appendix, tonsils, Cossix are now found not to be functionless. That means they are not the remnants of our evolutionary past or like we are descended from lizards, <laughs> descended from dinosaurs. No. Okay? They have found that coccyx have very important function. Uh, if you have a fall and you hurt your tail, so-called tailbone, <laughs> I tell you a lot of structures is going to go goyak. Okay? Because the tailbone actually holds the muscle that control your passing motion and passing urine. Okay? So there's a muscle that's attached to the coccyx, the, the tailbone. And they also have found things like appendix. Last time you say, take out the appendix, take out the appendix, it's useless. But actually, now they found the appendix is very important. It's like the policeman, the police station of the whole intestine. So a lot of people will, will take out appendix, take out tonsil, and now have a lot of sore throat, huh? a lot of tummy ache, can't explain. So scientists are beginning to find out, even med doctors are learning. Every day doctors are learning. They are withdrawing medicine, they are putting forth new medicine. Why? Because so-called science, actually, they are experimenting and finding out what once held to be true may not be true. Okay? Uh, uh, sadly, a lot of patients become guinea pigs. Uh, okay? So they have side effects and complications. That is science, so-called science. But now they found that the tonsils is a very important organ. Okay? Appendix is very important. Uh, so don't call them a reminder of our evolutionary past. Actually, God created it special. Okay? Our hands, our feet. Okay? The man is a very impressive structure uh, or a creature. Okay? Our foot is very unique of all the creatures that God has created. Yeah? And all the animals may like that walking, but man walk upright. And the food is specially created for walking. Okay, so just to answer a bit of that question. Is the universe un unlimited or limited? I, I would say um, there are some new physics coming, coming from our community. So we believe that the universe is as big as it was created originally. Yeah? And I, I understand that you know, in the world out there, they were saying the universe is actually expanding. Probably it is not the case. Yeah. So how are we doing with time, Joanne? <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, I, I think we can wrap up unless anyone else has burning questions maybe you can take it offline yeah there's, there's, a, there's also a book table at the back um, a lot of the resources that have been mentioned will be, will be found there so um, just go take a look before you, before you go off um, yeah I, I think they will, the, the team will be there okay yeah. any burning like must ask question. I'll be around anyway. Yeah. Yeah. So. Okay. If not, you can come to the front. Shall Shall we all stand up and then I'll just close in prayer and we <coughs> close the session.
Okay, let's pray. Let's pray. God, we say that you are an awesome God. You are a creator God. You are sovereign over all the universe. And we, we stand in awe of you, God. And, and Father, we pray that in, for, for every one of us in our journey, um, in, in knowing you more, we pray that you will open our eyes and open our minds to, to know more and more of you so that we can love you more and serve you more. So God, we commit this time into your hands. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you for coming. Um, please check out the books at the back. <laughs>